Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Untitled Shiro. My guest this week is Jabulile Mpanza. Jabu is an economist by training and founder of Hadithi Wetu, a reading mentorship program that encourages the reading of literary works by Black authors among Black youths. Welcome to the show, Jabu. It's such a pleasure to have you on as a guest. Thanks, Jen. I'm very excited to be on the show and just looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Um, Jabu, I gave a very, very short intro um, about you. Why don't you just do a little bit of a better job and, and introduce yourself? Yeah, I think you did a fantastic job. Uh, that's as much as there is. Um, yeah, so I mean, like you said, I'm an economic development economist by training and spent some time working in, in management consulting before, I guess, pivoting my career to South Africa, to South African corporates. Um, and, and right now I... I still, I still work in corporate South Africa. I'm working for a, a large health and insurance company and spend my days working on um, wellness. So, you know, I spend lots of time thinking about employer wellness and what that means, or rather employee wellness and what that means and how to enhance the employee wellness experience. So that's, you know, ranging from um, mental wellness, um, nutrition and health. And a part of my job is also thinking about transformation, which in the South African space means a lot of things, but um, primarily what I focus on is racial transformation. So diversity and inclusion work. Um, So spend some time working in that space, developing plans for transforming South Africa's, uh, or at least the company that I work for's um, makeup to reflect the demographic of our country. And I guess the other area is, is working in, in organizational development, which in, in my space involves um, diversity and inclusion work. So really um, try to take my economics training and, and apply it to places in the workplace that traditionally don't just look at profits and uh, aren't necessarily the places where you'd find an economist, but really trying to use that training um, and that thought, um, thought leadership towards really informing what the kind of the kind of workplace we want to have and the kind of makeup that we want that workplace to be in its in its construct. Now, Jabu, um, did you always know what you wanted to be, say, from high school or maybe earlier or later in life? Like, when did you know economics is the route? Um, that you wanted to take? Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a funny question because I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I I I think it's a it's a process, right? And I think you're what I've learned in the last at least the last five years is that um, it's okay to change my mind about how I want to develop my career. Um, and so no, I, I didn't always know what I wanted. The role that I'm in, sort of senior managing, uh, senior managering this, you know, the space that I work in is not an area that if you'd asked me when I was studying nine or so years ago, when I started off at university, I never thought this is something I'd be doing at all. So really for me, when I was pursuing economics, um, I was actually supposed to pursue accounting and, and ended up and ended up in economics and then ended up in polit- doing some work, um, sorry, studying politics and philosophy. And so there was never really a, a clear path as to where I was going. Um, but I've always, but I've always been a, a big reader. And I've always found that 
what I love the most about stories is, is how people evolve. Um, especially in our literature, you know, we spoke about Hadithuetu, which is which is an organization that you know is very close to my heart that I, that I run. But I think what I've always found captivating about stories is that they need to, in order for them to be dynamic, they need to be continuing continuously evolving. And so, what I might not have known about myself back then, I'm sort of growing towards. Um, in the career that I've chosen today, and I think we'll continue to do so. Yeah, and and I think you know um, something that I I've kind of picked up as I speak to a lot of people, and something I've experienced myself. You know, when I was studying economics, is I didn't necessarily know what that career track would lead me to, right? Or into. Um, it was just one of those. You know, I was very interested in economics, development economics, particularly. Mm. Um, and and kind of was like okay well we'll see where this takes us and it, it it's not necessarily that in this day that we're living in that whatever you study is what you end up doing for the rest of your life it's really about applying your skills um and thought process right exactly that's exactly it and i think it's also a, a continuous process of self-questioning um, mm. i think we you you know some of us are privileged enough to try to self-actualize something that our some of our parents have never thought to do, right? Because they had to stay in a job and make sure that they hold on to that. So I think the ability to be reflective and question and tear down various barriers as you do so is in and of itself quite a privilege. Um, and it's something to be continually, or at least I'm continually grateful for. Because I think starting off, um, the opportunities that I have today or the work that I'm doing today didn't exist actually 15 years ago. At its scale, no one, you know, 15 years ago, I don't think many people in the workplace really thought about how people are, how people are doing, right. about productivity. Right. And so to work in a space that maybe didn't exist um, when I started off, you know, my schooling career and self-actualize um, is truly something that I think as as generations grow and as, you know, we have people coming out of high school, going into varsity, some of the jobs that they're going to be doing in the next 10 or so years aren't there today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the reality of um, the world that we're living in. Things are moving so quickly. Yeah. Um, so Jabba, let me ask you, did you have any mentors? Do you still have any mentors that you look to uh, to guide you through your process and trying to figure out what it is you do want to be when you grow up? Mm. Yeah, so I have, I think a, I have a, I have more sponsors than mentors, right? Mm. And what I mean by that is that I, I valued sponsorship more in my career because if the right people who have a seat at the table have my name in their mouth, you know, when, when important discussions are had, then I'm in the right space, right? Right. Do you want to define uh, for the listeners what the difference is between a sponsor and a mentor? Yeah, sure. So quite simply, a, a sponsor is, in, in my mind, quite quickly, someone who propels your career, someone who is an advocate for your development and for your growth and is able to articulate that to others um, mm -hmm. in spaces and in places that matter. So I invest quite a lot in, in that sponsorship because and I do that through my work. I do that through lots of conversations with people who are seniors because I think that's what propels my growth. Um, and I think very much sometimes sponsors lead you to places and spaces in which you traditionally would never have thought for or thought of for yourself. Mm -hmm. So 
are, you know, speaking about you, are advocating for you in spaces that you never even thought that you wanted to be in. Mentorship for me, I think I've, I've I think I, I take mentorship in its in its various doses from different parts of my life. So my mentors aren't necessarily people um, who are, you know, part of my career or I want or are in enabling my empowerment in terms of my work is concerned. But I think of mentorship for myself as people who um, are really challenging me spiritually, uh, challenging me about um, my trajectory holistically in my life, about my physical well-being, about my mental well-being. So I really found that those mentorship relationships are the ones that I value the most. So, so I do still, so I do definitely have mentors. Um, and some people that, you know, mentor me don't know that they're my mentors because they yeah. know me as a little sister or or something like that. But I I I sort of shape my some of my beliefs and shape some of my um um goals towards what I've seen them achieve. And and, and versus my sponsors who really are the ones who are out in and about and who would I think think of me in spaces that really mattered where I could add value. Mm, absolutely, and and, and Jabu, I just want to to stay on that on that point around uh, sponsorship. Um, what how would you advise young girls or oh, young women in the workplace um, who are looking to approach someone or um, might not know where to start in identifying who the appropriate sponsor would be? What what advice would you give? Yeah, I think I think for me it's three things, Jen, um, about sponsorship. The first one is be excellent. Right. So and but what I mean by that is that be excellent and be brilliant in the thing that you are doing, that you want someone to talk about you, talk to other people about. So in the workplace, it's it's excelling in your work. It's, you know, showing up as your best self in in that space because that is noticeable. Um, so that's the one thing is is excellence and brilliance is important. I think the second thing is that be is is in in trying to approach um a sponsor be articulate about what it is that you want um i think very often we want to go into an executive's office and just you know sort of talk a little bit about you know work in general but we're not direct right so what is important is to show someone that you want to sponsor you the work that you're capable of doing um, proven by the brilliance by my first point and say I'd like you to to propel me to propel my career I'm not looking for you to necessarily guide me or mentor me but I'm looking for you to see my work when it when it when it is in places where it matters to articulate that it is mine and I think right. that's that's important and I think the third thing is 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 to be interesting as well um, mm -hmm. so very often I find that we want people, we want mentors and sponsors to to do all the work, but we're not trying to be interesting ourselves. So what's important is that when you are having the conversation with a sponsor or or a mentor and you are displaying your brilliance, that they are that you are also displaying that, hey, you're actually a, a person who's interesting, who's interested in in various topics, who is um, well versed in things that don't necessarily concern their area of don't necessarily concern your area of work 
And I think that's important is that not to just want and take and take, but to say, I want to give um, and add value in these spaces. And it is through my brilliance. It is through my directness uh, that, you know, you will see that I'm also an interesting person who is worth investing in. Right. Absolutely. And it's difficult. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's one of those things where I think it's, it's, it's a skill that one has to hone, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, being able to, you know, I think hard work um, and, and presenting yourself is probably the easiest part of it all. Right. <laughs> um, um, it's the, it's the next step where you, you, you know, have to I understand what it is you want out of the relationship, out of the sponsorship um, that becomes critical. Cause like you said, uh, there's a, a generality yeah. um, to these um sponsorship and even general mentorships um uh, specifically exactly so Jabu, i want to talk to you about um your mentorship program um hadith yeah uh, it's a very very interesting simple concept um so just tell the listeners a little bit more about about it sure so maybe to to highlight its genesis i suppose um, so I started Haditi about three years ago now. And um, at the time, I was coming back to live in Johannesburg, having lived in Cape Town for a couple of years. And uh, my family's in Joburg. So I started spending a lot more time with with my younger cousins. Um, and I found that, you know, that their vocabulary was quite poor. And uh, then I investigated around, well, what are you guys reading? And uh, it became very evident very quickly that they what they were reading was Instagram and and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Really, that was the, that was what was absorbing and um, their time, and that they just also just didn't um, enjoy reading um, school school material and, and and whatnot. And I found that part of that was just because the material did not reflect them. Right. And so it never made it interesting and captivating for them to to enjoy that content. And that's really the birth of Haditi. I wanted to get teenagers to read, mostly because I thought their vocabulary was just weak, but also yeah. because I found such creativity coming out of myself from the art of reading of reading literature. And I think most importantly is reading up books about people who look like them and identifying with the experiences of those books and identifying themselves as characters in these, you know, in these wonderful, the wonderful world of words, as I like to put it. And so Haditi is really a a program uh, geared towards getting teenagers reading about, teenagers reading South Africa, um, books about people who look like them. And I reached out to my network at the time and, asked a couple of friends and their friends to donate books to uh, these teenagers and help them to read that first book for, for at least six weeks. And yeah, so that's how really the program works, that our teenagers get a book, their first book, they'll have the person who donated it, read it with them, ask them how it's going. And my car then eventually became this library, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'd be transporting books 
um, between places for teenagers. And then uh, as Haditi groups started having events and we decided to have four events a year, so one a quarter, where we where we do various literature-related things. So we've been to book festivals, we've been to art galleries, um, we've been to really sort of uh, different spaces like a yoga studio. So really a, a very cultural experience, but really centered around this the beauty of African literature. Yeah, and so that's 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 basically what we do, and I've had an enormously incredible experience uh, in this work working with working with teenagers, particularly, has been a great joy. Yeah, and have you seen that interest in um, expanded liter- literary content? Um, has that interest increased amongst um, the youths that you've been engaging with? like just dramatically in fact so a lot of the teenagers that I that my first cohorts and my first cohort of teens are now in first year of university had never ever before Haditi even bought a book for leisure it was just mm-hmm. not something that they thought they would ever do and through the program have not only become better orators but are so intrigued and so interested in stories and storytelling and I think for me, the next step that was never in my intention was they were interested and have become interested in their own stories and the power of their own stories. So, right. so certainly the the sort of I get testimonials till today from some of my alums around, oh my goodness, you know, I've been asked to read Chinua Achebe, and I was the only person in my tutorial who knew who that was because I read this book in grade eleven. Oh wow. Yeah, which is which is always exciting to hear. And I think for them as well, it's that, you know, reading doesn't have to be boring. Um, you know, it matters what the story is, it matters what the narrative is and how the story is told. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I I mean, just going back to what you said about um Haditi Wetu about reading work where you see yourself through the different mm-hmm. characters. I I almost see you know, when when as young women, um, perhaps we look to certain people in, you know, our career fields or just generally um, to, you know, guide us, you know, I mean, we might not know them, but, you know, kind of aspirationally to be like, I want to be like this person. Yeah. Um, uh, so who would be that person for you? Do you have anyone like that that you look up to and say, this is someone admirable? Sure. So, so like a role model, right? Yeah. That's that's a difficult. It's an inter- It's a very difficult question because I have multiple. I think. Mm. Um, and when I think about about my role models, they what I've seen and what I've loved about some of them is that they are flawed in 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 who they are as humans. Um. So I think you know to answer your question if I think of like a handful of role models, I think one, you know, would be my my grandmother, um, my paternal grandmother, who is probably one of my first friends, um, that makes sense. And I think just, just, I mean, she would never identify as my friend, just for the record. <laughs> I identify with, with her in that sense because she's always been quite headstrong and been a woman, I think, who was a little bit ahead of her age in, mm. sense. Um, in her thinking, in, in her application of herself. 
Um, she's, you know, a, a almost a little bit of a feminist, but would never identify as one because of her generation. So that's the one person. I think of someone like Ava DuVernay, yeah. a role model. Um, one, because I love stories and I love storytelling. And I think her ability to maintain authenticity in how she tells stories is, is something that I really, really admire. Um, another role model of mine is actually my younger sister, um, who I, you know, perhaps the most fearless person that I've I've ever met. Um, and she's she's very she's her bravery she doesn't see for herself, um, but it's but it's there. So definitely someone I look up to because she's she makes the most difficult decisions seem so easy. And has always sort of maintained that the worst thing that someone can say to you is no. And I was like, yeah, that's horrible. And she's like, exactly, but that's it. <laughs> that's the worst they can say. Um, and, then I, and then I think of a woman in South Africa, in South African politics, um, mm-hmm. who's, you know, if I follow her, and I just only know her, obviously, from her public persona, um, but I think what I've always seen from her is intelligence matched with poise um, and not having to bark the loudest, shout the loudest to make a point, but makes it very salient and clear what she's saying. And I think I really admire that ability, um, you know, in, in a woman of her stature. And um, is this woman only, Jen? Can I, can I dabble in the men? <laughs> Sure, go ahead and devil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a bit of a, like, I suppose, a uh, a pivot, I suppose, or a tangent in, in men is I, I have a very big sense of admiration just from reading, and it's, it's a recent one for me, is, is uh, Phil Knight, who is uh, the founder of Nike. I know a lot of people who would be like, oh my goodness, you have admiration for a white male. What? (laughs) (laughs) Bring out the pitchforks. I'm just like, ah, gosh, I'm I'm here for it. I'll I'll take the daggers. But I think I read read the book Shoe Dog uh, and I really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. I read it at the beginning of this year. I think the timing was awesome because we had, at the time I had no idea what, you know, 2020 would turn out to be. But what I really admired about him from just reading that book and then following a little bit about his career is the ability to be resilient um, and also to sort of hop on even when it doesn't seem to make sense to others. And, you know, we can have an entire conversation about, you know, if you're white and male and privileged, like, you know, you can make those kinds of decisions, which a lot of it is true. But I think holding everything constant, like an economist would do, and mm-hmm. looking at it sort of objectively and seeing the vision of what the brand that he's built, I think is phenomenal. And I think of, I think Nike in particular for me, because I actually, I have no reason, like in terms of like the actual, you know, shoe, for example, it's probably the same quality as any other pair of shoes or whatever, you know, running shoes. But I'm, I have an affinity to the brand because of what I think it stands for and mm. the kind of story that it tells. So if I think of Ser, um, uh, Serena Williams and how she portrays the brand, Casta Semenya, 
um, right. Kobe Bryant, like Michael Jordan, like the people who are behind the brand and its power and what they display as role models in and of themselves. I think that's what, for me, stands out about Phil Knight in particular. So, Jabu, I just want to, uh, I guess, change direction slightly to mm-hmm. something you've already mentioned um, you focus on and have quite a bit of passion on, um, and that's representation and diversity and transformation. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on some of these sort of hot button issues um, that are becoming quite prominent um, discussion points in the workplace. Um, mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts around um, representation and diversity and transformation mm. in whatever definition you give them um, to you? What does that all mean to you? Mm. Yeah, it's it's a loaded question there, Jane, because, you know, I, working in this space and, and trying to remove myself from some of the, or trying to avoid microaggressions around the topic yeah. is something that's a little bit difficult. Mm. I think, maybe let me start by saying that you know, I'm not a big fan of postmodernism, but what I do think about post postmodernism is that um is in is is what I agree with is in hard views history, in that I believe that history is a is a constant struggle, I suppose, between multiple multiple groups and their narrative. And I think the reason I sort of wanna say that first is because I often think about transformation, diversity, and inclusion in so far as what it will mean for history um, right. and what it would mean when others are studying it in history, uh, in the future about, about their history. And I think it's important that various narratives are included uh, in that discussion. And so that's, you know, that's the first thing. And I, but, but I think there's multiple things, and maybe I want to just talk about three or four of them. I think it should become a no-brainer in our society that inclusion in any space is essential. Mm-hmm. So having, and particularly in business, um, having voices that are different from the ones that traditionally sit at the table is good for business. Um, and there is a business case for that. That's the first thing. And I think I, I want to be clear that it's not diversity that I'm really concerned about. It's inclusion because mm-hmm. I think you can have a very diverse room, but, but you can have those who you, you think of as your diversity tickets not be included in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so it's not enough to, have, to just have them in the room. It is about does the culture... Does the space allow for them um, to to exist and to be included? I think uh, second to that is is the the importance of listening, right? And very, I think we we very often in the sort of culture of society today, we take very strong views about a particular thing and then propel those views and are not interested in the other. I think the other and listening to the other is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might not, and we often, you know, we don't agree on where their genesis or their, you know, their context comes from or, you know, what they are trying to advance. But I think it's important to sometimes stop for a while and listen to the other uh, in order for us to shape an informed opinion or an informed view about them. 
I think thirdly in in this sort of uh, in this you know navigating the space is for me is is psychological safety in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you you know you mentioned that it's something that's you know hot it's sort of hot on the on the sort of topics today, but I, I find that a lot of people don't have the psychological safety to say what they actually want to say. Absolutely. So you, we can we can sort of have the conversation, but you don't want to have it in its authenticity because it's not a safe environment in which people can have it. So I think in order to have authentic conversations about this, psychological safety is, is critical, and I think it is a leadership's role to create that safety um, for, for them to to open up space for vulnerability for people to really express themselves. Mm. And yeah, and I, I perhaps lastly, it's that I, you know, I often question whether or not this is a generational, uh, is this a generational thing? Is it intergenerational? How do we make it intergenerational? So, so my point with that is that there's a lot of known unknowns um, when we're thinking about when we're thinking about some of this really sensitive stuff, so we know we know we, well, we know what we don't know, but we also don't know what we don't know sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think acknowledging that is important. And I think sometimes you know people have formed various conscious or unconscious biases because they don't want to investigate that which they do not know, right. or they don't know that which they do not know. Um, and so I think, you know, with that, it's these, there's a multiple questions, but we have to have grace, some form of grace, one another in, in meeting each other where we're at. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. So, I mean, I agree. It is a very loaded question to ask someone. And, <laughs> yeah. and the news can be, you know, it's also, it also feels like a very personal, um, perspective that one takes on this on these matters um so it's always very interesting to see how people think about these things because i think as particularly black women um it's something that's somewhat always in our midst in the workplace um it's not something that we can easily escape um and the question does come up you know more and more companies are having transformation committees and this Mm. and that and you know you become almost like a spokesperson. What do you think um, <laughs> about this? You know, and it's like, I don't know. I'm, you know, I have the same questions about these topics um, as much as any other person in the room. So, so anyway, so thanks for, thanks for that response. Yeah. Um, um, so Jabu, just a last sort of question packaged, um, two questions packages one. Um, I want to know, um, knowing what you know up until this point in your life, um, mm-hmm. what are of the biggest lessons you've learned mm-hmm. um, either on your career path um, personal life in terms of you know trying to navigate you know your journey and who you are um, and what advice would you give to other young women mm-hmm. so the the biggest lesson sure I think I, I want to answer what's the what's the lesson that I keep learning and I think for me it's one is that my mother's always right, right, first of all, yes. uh, about most of everything. So about, there's just, she has, like, I just feel she has intuitive, she has more experience, she's always right. Just get it right. Just know that for yourself. 
That'll be on a personal note. I think in my career, you know, what I what's the most important lesson I've learned is is to continue to be teachable. Um, mm. And and part of being teachable is that you have to have the agility to change your mind, at least adopt that agility to change your mind. So that's that's very important for me because I think sometimes we make up our minds too quickly. Or I make up my mind too quickly about a specific issue or a specific topic or a specific individual. But I think learning to be teachable and unlearning certain things is, is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, you know, advise, and I, I think of that and I think of my 19-year-old self um, and what I would tell her and what she should know. And it's a little bit cliche, but the one thing is that the world is truly your oyster um, and you need to cultivate, not just take, but cultivate the opportunities that you, that are presented in front of you. So I think that's the piece of advice I would give if I was, you know, if it was me 19 years ago is, is to really look out at the world and think of it as something that I, that is my oyster and that I can grow from and to, you know, to just cultivate um, opportunities. And I think mm-hmm. the other advice that I have for young people is to um, is to really invest in your networks and grow networks from an earlier age. Um, people like people want to know people who are you know different from them, who are the same as them, and it's important to grow that network base sooner rather than rather than later. Um, and I think it works for you over time. Like if I think of, you know, you and I, Jen, and, you know, how we met and how we work together, this is it's a network, right? And you're right. cultivating this in various different forms. So I think that's really important is to, you know, where, where, where it is not necessary, do not burn bridges, but cultivate, yeah. um, cultivate your networks. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Jabu, uh, thank you so much. If any young people want to join um, Haditi Wetu, is it possible and how can they um, find out more information on how to join? Mm. Yeah, so so yeah, I'd love to, to chat to anyone who's interested in Haditi and um, you know, would like to chat to me about it. They can reach me via email. I think that's the best way. Um, and our email address is Haditi Wetu so H-A-D-I T-H-I-W-E-T-H-U at gmail.com and I think the other avenue is to hit us up on our on our Instagram page which is at Hadi Tuetu um, and uh, yeah those are the channels I think if you're interested if you want to know more I'm very open to having that, that conversation perfect thank you so much for, for being on the on this episode of the of the Untitled Cheerio. It has been such a pleasure, Jabu, as always. Thank you, Jane. No, this is, I had an incredible time talking to you and I, I hope your listeners are feeling, you know, energized. I think this is an amazing platform that you've built and I'm very, very proud of the work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Jabu. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Untitled Shiro. You can check out The Untitled Shiro on Instagram at The Untitled Shiro and on Twitter at Untitled Shiro. And remember to subscribe to and rate this podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, take care.